Greentop Guideline number 56, Maternal Collapse in the Pregnancy and the Purpurium. This is the second edition of this guideline. The first edition was published in 2011 under the same title by J. Chu, T. A. Johnson, J. Geoghan, on behalf of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. Executive Summary Clinical Issues Can women at risk of impending collapse be identified early? An obstetric modified early warning score chart should be used for all women undergoing observation to allow early recognition of the woman who is becoming critically ill. Grade of recommendation D. What are the causes of maternal collapse? Maternal collapse can result from a number of causes. A systematic approach should be taken to identify the cause. New 2019. Grade of recommendation B. In the case of collapse assumed to be due to anaphylaxis, mast cell tryptase levels can be useful in confirming the diagnosis. In cases of collapse assumed to be due to anaphylaxis, mast cell tryptase levels can be useful in confirming the diagnosis. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. What are the physiological and anatomical changes in pregnancy that affect resuscitation? It is essential that anyone involved in the resuscitation of a pregnant woman is aware of the physiological differences. This includes pre-hospital care clinicians, paramedics and emergency medicine department staff. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Aortocable compression significantly reduces cardiac output from 20 weeks of gestation onwards and the efficacy of chest compressions during resuscitation. New 2019. Grade of recommendation, C. Changes in lung function, diaphragmatic splinting and increased oxygen consumption make pregnant women become hypoxic more readily and make ventilation more difficult. New 2019. Grade of recommendation, C. Difficult intubation is more likely in pregnancy. New 2019. Grade of recommendation, C. Pregnant women are at increased risk of aspiration. New, 2019. Grade of recommendation, C. What is the optimal initial management of maternal collapse? Maternal collapse resuscitation should follow the Resuscitation Council UK guidelines using the standard ABCDE approach with some modifications for maternal physiology in particular, relief of aortocable compression. Grade of recommendation, D. If maternal cardiac arrest occurs in the community settings, basic life support should be administered and rapid transfer arranged. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Manual displacement of the uterus to the left is effective in relieving aortocable compression in women above 20 weeks gestation or where the uterus is palpable at or above the level of the umbilicus. This permits effective chest compression in the supine position in the event of cardiac arrest. Grade of recommendation, D. A left lateral tilt of the woman from head to toe at an angle of 15 to 30 degrees on a firm surface will relieve aortocable compression in the majority of pregnant women and still allow effective chest compression to be performed in the event of cardiac arrest. Grade of recommendation, C. In the cases of major trauma, 
the spine should be protected with a spinal board before any tilt is applied. In the absence of a spinal board, manual displacement of the uterus should be used. New 2019. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Intubation in an unconscious woman with a cuffed endotracheal tube should be performed immediately by an experienced anaesthetist. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Supplemental high flow oxygen should be administered as soon as possible to counteract rapid deoxygenation. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Bag and mask ventilation or insertion of a simple supraglottic airway should be undertaken until intubation can be achieved. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. If the airway is clear and there is no breathing, chest compressions should be commenced immediately. Grade of recommendation, B. Two wide ball cannulae, minimum 16 gauge, should be inserted as soon as possible. If peripheral venous access is not possible, early consideration of central venous access, intraosseous access, or venous cutdown should be considered. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. There should be an aggressive approach to volume replacement, or their caution should be exercised in the context of preeclampsia or eclampsia. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Abdominal ultrasound by a skilled operator can assist in the diagnosis of concealed hemorrhage. Grade of recommendation, C. Same defibrillation energy levels should be used as in a non-pregnant woman. Grade of recommendation, B. There should be no alteration in algorithm drugs or doses used in the Resuscitation Council UK protocol. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Common reversible causes of maternal cardiopulmonary arrest should be considered throughout the resuscitation process. Grade of recommendation, D. Resuscitation efforts should be continued until a decision is taken by the consultant obstetrician and consultant anaesthetist to discontinue resuscitation efforts. This decision should be made in consensus with the cardiac arrest team. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. When, where and how should perimortem caesarean sections, PMCS, be performed? In women over 20 weeks of gestation, if there is no response to correctly performed CPR within four minutes of maternal collapse, or if resuscitation is continued beyond this, then perimortem caesarean section should be undertaken to assist maternal resuscitation. Ideally, this should be achieved within five minutes of the collapse. Grade of recommendation, D. Perimortem caesarean section should not be delayed by moving the woman. It should be performed where the maternal collapse has occurred and resuscitation is taking place. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. The operator should use the incision which will facilitate the most rapid access. This may be a midline vertical incision or a suprapubic transverse incision. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. A scalpel and umbilical cord clamps or alternative ligatures should be available on the resuscitation trolley in all areas where maternal collapse may occur, including the accident and emergency department. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. What does the ongoing management consist of? 
senior staff with appropriate experience should be involved at an early stage. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Transfer should be supervised by an adequately skilled team with appropriate equipment. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. In the case of maternal collapse, secondary to antepartum hemorrhage, the fetus and placenta should be delivered promptly to allow control of the hemorrhage. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. In the case of massive placental abruption, caesarean section may occasionally be indicated even if the fetus is dead to allow rapid control of the hemorrhage. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Intravenous tranexamic acid significantly reduces mortality due to postpartum hemorrhage. New, 2019. Grade of recommendation, A. Massive pulmonary embolism should be treated according to the RCOG Greentop Guideline number 37B, Acute Management of Thrombosis and Embolism During Pregnancy and the Purpurium. New, 2019. Grade of recommendation, D. The management of amniotic fluid embolism, AFE, is supportive rather than specific, as there is no proven effective therapy. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Early involvement of senior experienced staff, including midwives, obstetricians, anaesthetists, haematologists, and intensivists, is essential to optimise outcome. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Coagulopathy needs early, aggressive treatment, including the use of fresh frozen plasma. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recombinant factor 7 should only be used if coagulopathy can be corrected by massive blood component replacement as it causes poorer outcomes in women with amniotic fluid embolism. New, 2019. Grade of recommendation, C. After successful resuscitation, cardiac cases should be managed by an expert cardiology team. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Septic shock should be managed in accordance with the surviving sepsis campaign guidelines. Grade of recommendation, D. The antidote to magnesium toxicity is 10 mils 10% calcium gluconate or 10 mils 10% calcium chloride given by slow intravenous injection. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. If local anaesthetic toxicity is suspected, stop injecting immediately. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Lipid rescue should be used in cases of collapse secondary to local anaesthetic toxicity. Grade of recommendation, C. Intralipid. 20% should be available in all hospitals offering maternity services. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Manage arrhythmias as usual, recognising that there may be very refractory to treatment. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. All cases of lipid rescue should be reported to NHS Improvement and the Lipid Rescue Site. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Eclampsia should be managed in accordance with the NICE Clinical Guidelines 107, Hypertension in Pregnancy, Diagnosis and Management. New, 2019. Grade of Recommendation, D.
neuroradiologists and neurosurgeons should be involved in the care of pregnant women with intracranial haemorrhage at the earliest opportunity. New 2019. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. In cases of anaphylaxis, all potential causative agents should be removed and the ABCDE approach to assessment and resuscitation followed. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. If the anaphylactic reaction occurs in the community, the woman should have basic life support and be transferred to a hospital setting as quickly as possible, unless a suitably trained healthcare professional is present with appropriate equipment and drugs, in which case definitive resuscitation and treatment should be commenced. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. The treatment for anaphylaxis is 1 in 1,000 adrenaline 500 micrograms, 0.5 mils, intramuscularly. This dose is for intramuscular use only. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. What are the outcomes for mother and baby after maternal collapse? Outcomes for mothers and babies depend on the cause of the collapse, gestational age and access to emergency care with survival rates being poorer if the collapse occurs out of hospital. In maternal cardiac arrest, maternal survival rates of over 50% have been reported. New, 2019. Grade of recommendation, C. Who should be on the team? In addition to the general arrest team, there should also be a senior midwife, an obstetrician, and an obstetric anaesthetist in the team in cases of maternal collapse. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. The most senior obstetrician and senior anaesthetist should be called at the time of a cardiopulmonary arrest call. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. The neonatal team should be called if early delivery is likely, antepartum collapse over 22 weeks gestation. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Where the woman survives, a consultant intensivist should be involved as soon as possible. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Clinical governance. Documentation. Accurate documentation is essential in all cases of maternal collapse, whether or not resuscitation is successful. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Incident reporting. All cases of maternal collapse should generate a clinical incident form and the care should be reviewed through the clinical governance process. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. All cases of maternal death should be reported to Embrace UK, new 2019. Grade of recommendation, D. Training. All generic life support training should consider the adaptation of CPR in pregnant women. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. All maternity staff should have annual, formal, multidisciplinary training in generic life support and the management of maternal collapse. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Life support training improves resuscitation skills. Grade of recommendation, a. Small group, multidisciplinary, interactive, practical training is recommended to improve the management of maternal collapse. Grade of recommendation, C.
debrief. Debriefing is recommended for the woman, the family, and the staff involved in the event. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Section one, purpose and scope. Maternal collapse is a rare but life-threatening event with a wide-ranging etiology. The outcome primarily for the mother, but also the fetus, depends on prompt and effective resuscitation. The purpose of this guideline is to discuss the identification of women at an increased risk of maternal collapse and the different causes of maternal collapse, to delineate the initial and ongoing management of maternal collapse and review the maternal and neonatal outcomes. It covers both hospital and community settings and includes all gestations and the postpartum period. The resuscitation team and equipment and training requirements will also be covered. Section two, introduction and background epidemiology. Maternal collapse is defined as an acute event involving the cardiorespiratory systems and or central nervous systems, resulting in a reduced or absent conscious level and potentially cardiac arrest and death at any stage in pregnancy and up to six weeks after birth. Importantly, if maternal collapse, which is not as the result of cardiac arrest, is not treated effectively, maternal cardiac arrest can then occur. There is a robust and effective system for maternal mortality audit in the UK in the form of the confidential inquiry into maternal death performed by Embrace UK, mothers and babies reducing risk through audits and confidential inquiries across the UK. However, the incidence of maternal collapse or severe maternal morbidity is unknown as morbidity data is not routinely collected. Even when it is, it is not collected in a standardised way to facilitate comparisons. See reference. The incidence of cardiac arrest in pregnancy is much rarer than maternal collapse at around 1 in 36,000 maternities. Reference 2. With a case fatality rate of 42%. In a UK study, a total of 25% of cardiac arrests in pregnancy were secondary to anaesthesia and all were associated with a 100% survival rate. See reference 2. It is accepted that lessons can be learned from severe morbidity and near misses and Embrace UK now undertake targeted maternal morbidity confidential inquiries. See reference 3. The UK Obstetric Surveillance System, UCOS, run by the National Perinatal Epidemiology Unit has made a significant contribution towards the study of rare events and maternal morbidity. See reference 4. Severe maternal morbidity data were collected across Scotland for 10 years and published in 2014. See reference 5. A woman was defined as having a severe maternal morbidity event even if there was a risk of maternal death without timely intervention. The data showed a severe maternal morbidity rate of 7.3 in 1,000 women, 730 in 100,000 maternities in 2012, but not all cases of severe maternal morbidity involved maternal collapse, although all cases of collapse were included in the figures. 
A publication from Ireland showed a severe maternal morbidity rate of 6.35 in 1,000. 635 in 100,000 births in 2015. See reference 6. These reports demonstrate that the rate of maternal morbidity has increased year on year. This is likely to reflect the changing demographics of women and better reporting rather than a decline in care. See reference 7. Between 2012 and 2014, the maternal mortality rate was 8.5 in 100,000 in the UK. See reference 3. However, not all maternal collapse results in maternal death. Thus, the true rate of maternal collapse is unknown. Whilst maternal collapse is such an uncommon event, the consequences are potentially devastating. Therefore, it is essential that the clinical teams are skilled in initial effective resuscitation techniques and are able to investigate and diagnose the cause of the collapse to allow appropriate, directed, ongoing management. Unfortunately, in reports regarding morbidity, see references 5 and 6, and the EMBRACE report 2016, reference 3, areas of substandard care continue to be identified, including poor resuscitation skills. However, it should also be remembered that death and disability may result despite excellent care. It should be noted that vasovagal attacks and epileptic seizures, reference 8, are the most common causes of maternal collapse and are not covered by this guideline. Section 3 identification and assessment of evidence. This guideline was developed in accordance with standard methodology for producing Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, RCOG, Green Top Guidelines. The Cochrane Library, including the Cochrane Database of Systematic Reviews and the Database of Abstracts of Reviews of Effects, DARE, Embase, TRIP, Medline and PubMed, electronic databases, were searched for relevant randomized controlled trials, RCTs, systematic reviews, and meta-analyses. The search was restricted to articles published up to June 2018. The databases were searched using the relevant medical subject headings, MESH terms, including all subheadings, and this was combined with a keyword search. Search words included labour complications, maternal morbidity, maternal mortality, pregnancy complications, and heart arrest. The search was restricted to humans and the English language. The National Library for Health and the National Guideline Clearinghouse were also searched for relevant guidelines and reviews. Where possible, Recommendations are based on available evidence. In the absence of published evidence, these have been annotated as good practice points. Further information about the assessment of evidence and the grading of recommendations may be found in Appendix 1. Section 4. Clinical Issues. Subsection 4.1. Can women at risk of impending collapse be identified early? 
Recommendation for if impending collapse can be identified early. Recommendation. An obstetric modified early warning score chart should be used for all women undergoing observation to allow early recognition of the woman who is becoming critically ill. Grade of recommendation, D. Evidence to support recommendation for if impending collapse can be identified early. In some cases, maternal collapse occurs with no prior warning, although there may be existing risk factors which make this more likely. Antenatal care for women with significant medical conditions at risk of maternal collapse should include multidisciplinary team input with a pregnancy and birth management plan in place. Often, there are clinical signs that precede collapse. In a previous report into maternal deaths in the UK, reference 9, substandard care was often identified where these signs and symptoms were not recognised and acted upon. The Embrace UK report, published in 2016, recommended a national obstetric early warning scoring system should be introduced and used for all obstetric women including those being cared for outside the obstetric setting. It also recommended that clinical judgment must be incorporated in that if the woman looks or feels unwell despite the score, her care should be escalated. See reference 3. Evidence level 4. The first modified early warning score, or MUSE system, reference 10, were introduced on the basis that a deterioration in simple physiological vital signs will precede significant clinical deterioration and that early intervention will reduce morbidity. See references 11 to 15. They are now extensively used in acute settings and critical care. References 16 to 18 although the optimal system has yet to be identified. See reference 19. Evidence level 2++. Despite this, the MUSE systems have not been demonstrated to be highly effective, even when their use has triggered input from a specialised medical emergency team. See reference 20. Although their use is recommended by the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, NICE, reference 21, and Embrace UK, reference 3, this is based on informal consensus rather than evidence. Evidence level 4. The physiological changes of pregnancy may render the existing MUSE system inappropriate, reference 22 and no validated system for use in pregnant women currently exists. Because of this, many maternity hospitals have developed their own modified MUSE system, so local training is required, and there is ongoing work in the UK to try and develop a national obstetric MUSE system. This, however, should be subjected to rigorous scrutiny to ensure that it is effective before it is universally implemented. Evidence level 4. The National Early Warning Score 2, News 2, reference 23, 
is endorsed by NHS England and NHS Improvement, but is not recommended for women who are more than 20 weeks pregnant because the physiological response to acute illness can be modified in pregnancy. With that in mind, it would seem reasonable to consider the use of NEWS2 in women who are less than 20 weeks pregnant. The timing of the use of NEWS2 postpartum is uncertain, as the physiological changes of pregnancy are largely returned to pre-pregnancy levels by 48 hours, although full return can take up to six weeks. Evidence level four. It is also important to consider the potential risks associated with the use of different scoring systems in the same organization for the same patient, depending on their stage of pregnancy. A scoring system may still miss an unwell patient and a high level of clinical suspicion should be present if a patient looks unwell, even if her MUSE or Modified Early Obstetric Warning Score, MEOWS or NEWS2 score is normal. Subsection 4.2. What are the causes of maternal collapse? Recommendation for the causes of maternal collapse. Recommendation. Maternal collapse can result from a number of causes. A systematic approach should be taken to identify the cause. Grade of recommendation, D. Evidence to support the recommendation for the causes of maternal collapse. Maternal collapse can result from many causes which may or may not be pregnancy related. A systematic approach to assessment facilitates identification of the cause of collapse. If the cause is reversible, the survival rates are greater, reference 24, and those for which specific treatments exist must be rapidly considered. A systematic A, B, C, D, E approach should enable the clinical team to identify the most common causes of collapse. For ease of memory, these are divided by the Resuscitation Council UK into the four T's and four H's. See reference 24. In pregnant women, eclampsia and intracranial hemorrhage should be added. Other specific obstetric causes could also be present and should be considered systematically. Please see Appendix 2. Due to the lack of robust morbidity data regarding collapse, maternal deaths are often used as a reference point. The common causes of maternal collapse are discussed below, but this is not an exhaustive list, as this is beyond the scope of this clinical guideline. Evidence Level 4. Subsection 4.2. Point one, hemorrhage. Major obstetric hemorrhage has an estimated incidence of 6 in 1,000 maternities. See reference 5. This is among the most common causes of maternal collapse and was responsible for 13 maternal deaths between 2012 and 2014. See reference 3. Causes of major obstetric hemorrhage include postpartum hemorrhage, major antepartum hemorrhage from placenta previa, placental abruption, 
uterine rupture and ectopic pregnancy. In most cases of massive hemorrhage leading to collapse, the cause is obvious, but concealed hemorrhage should not be forgotten, including following caesarean section and ruptured ectopic pregnancy. Other rarer causes of concealed hemorrhage include splenic artery rupture, reference 25, and hepatic rupture. Blood loss is often difficult to estimate, references 26 and 27, especially slow, steady bleeding and fit, healthy women can tolerate significant loss prior to showing signs of decompensation. Evidence level 2 plus. Subsection 4.2.2 Thromboembolism In the Embrace UK report 2016, reference 3, 20 deaths were the result of thromboembolism, making it the most common cause of direct maternal death. Appropriate use of thromboprophylaxis has improved maternal morbidity and mortality, but improvements in clinical risk assessment and prophylaxis are still required. See references 3 and reference 28. Evidence level 2++. Subsection 4.2.3. Amniotic fluid embolism. UK data published in 2016 gave an incidence of amniotic fluid embolism of 1.7 per 100,000 maternities. See reference 29. Survival rates seem to have improved significantly over time from 14% in 1979, reference 30, to approximately 30% in 2005, reference 31, and 81% by 2014. See reference 29. However, neurological morbidity in survivors is well recognised. See reference 29. The perinatal mortality rate in cases of amniotic fluid embolism is 67 per 1,000 total births. See reference 29. It presents as collapse during labour or birth or within, usually, 30 minutes of birth in the form of acute hypotension, respiratory distress and acute hypoxia. See reference 30. Seizures and cardiac arrest may occur. There are different phases to the disease progression. Reference 32 and 33, which clearly depend on maternal survival. Initially, pulmonary hypertension may develop secondary to vascular occlusion, either by debris or vasoconstriction. This often resolves and left ventricular dysfunction or failure develops. Coagulopathy often develops if the mother survives long enough, often giving rise to massive postpartum hemorrhage. If amniotic fluid embolism occurs prior to birth, profound fetal distress develops acutely. See reference 34. The underlying pathophysiological process has been compared to anaphylaxis or severe sepsis and may be due to complement activation. See references 35 and 36. Diagnosis in non-fatal cases is clinical 
as there is no established accurate diagnostic test pre-mortem, although research continues in this area. See reference 37. Evidence level 2++. Subsection 4.2.4. Cardiac disease. Cardiac disease was the most common overall cause of indirect maternal death in the Embrace UK report 2016, reference 3, being responsible for 51 maternal deaths between 2012 and 2014. The majority of deaths secondary to cardiac causes occur in women with no previous history, references 2 and 3, and almost 1 in 5 deaths occurred in an ambulance or accident and emergency department. See references 2 and 38. Therefore, paramedics and accident and emergency staff must be familiar with the management of maternal collapse. The main causes of maternal death are ischemia and sudden arrhythmic cardiac death with a structurally normal heart. See reference 3. Most cardiac events have preceding signs and symptoms. Aortic root dissection, although usually associated with an inherited aortopathy, e.g. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, can present in otherwise healthy women, and signs and symptoms such as central chest or interscapular pain, a wide pulse pressure, mainly secondary to systolic hypertension, and a new cardiac murmur must prompt appropriate imaging and, if required, referral to a cardiologist. The incidence of congenital and rheumatic heart disease in pregnancy is increasing, secondary to increased survival rates and with improved management of congenital heart disease. In addition, women with mechanical prosthetic heart valves are at particularly increased risk of complications in pregnancy. See reference 39. These women should be cared for by an appropriately skilled and experienced multidisciplinary team, usually in regional centres. See reference 2. Other cardiac causes include cardiomyopathy, dissection of the coronary artery, acute left ventricular failure, infective endocarditis, and pulmonary edema. Evidence level 2++. Subsection 4.2.5. Sepsis. Sepsis has been recognised for centuries as a significant cause of maternal morbidity and mortality, and substandard care continues to feature in the cases that result in death. See reference 3. Bacteremia, which can be present in the absence of pyrexia or a raised white cell count, can progress rapidly to severe sepsis and septic shock, leading to collapse. See references 40 and 41. The most common organisms implicated in obstetric sepsis are the streptococcal groups A, B and D, pneumococcus and Escheria coli. Evidence level 2-. Subsection 4.2.6. Drug toxicity and overdose. Drug toxicity and overdose should be considered in all cases of collapse. 
substance misuse should be remembered as a potential cause of collapse, especially outside of hospital. In terms of therapeutic drug toxicity, commonly used drugs in obstetric practice are magnesium sulfate in the presence of renal impairment and local anaesthetic agents. Toxic effects associated with local anaesthetics usually result from excessively high plasma concentrations. This can be either as a result of inadvertent intravenous injection or systemic absorption of toxic amounts administered via appropriate routes, epidural, local infiltration, etc. On intravenous injection, convulsions and cardiovascular collapse may occur very rapidly. Local anaesthetic toxicity resulting from systemic absorption of the local anaesthetic may occur some time after the initial injection. Effects initially include a feeling of inebriation and lightheadedness, followed by sedation, circumoral paresthesia and twitching. Convulsions can occur in severe toxicity. Signs of severe toxicity include sudden loss of consciousness with or without tonic-clonic convulsions and cardiovascular collapse, sinus bradycardia, conduction blocks, asystole and ventricular tachyarrhythmias can all occur. See reference 42. Evidence level 4. In terms of local anaesthetics, total spinal block or high spinal or epidural block are rare. A high index of suspicion is needed in cases of maternal collapse following spinal anesthesia or epidural top-up. Appropriate training of medical and midwifery staff to recognise the signs and symptoms of high block is essential. Subsection 4.2.7 Eclampsia Eclampsia as the cause of maternal collapse is usually obvious in the inpatient setting. Often the diagnosis of preeclampsia has already been made and the seizure witnessed. In the community setting, fitting after 20 weeks gestation may be attributable to eclampsia, notably where there is no known history of epilepsy. However, epilepsy should always be considered in cases of maternal collapse associated with seizure activity. See reference 8. Subsection 4.2.8 Intracranial haemorrhage. Intracranial haemorrhage is a significant complication of uncontrolled, particularly systolic, hypertension, but can also result from ruptured aneurysms and arteriovenous malformations. The initial presentation may be maternal collapse, but often severe headaches precedes this. Subsection 4.2.9 Anaphylaxis Recommendations for anaphylaxis Recommendation In cases of collapse assumed to be due to anaphylaxis, mast cell tryptase levels can be useful in confirming the diagnosis. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support recommendation for anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis is a severe, life-threatening, generalised or systemic hypersensitivity reaction 
reference 43, resulting in respiratory, cutaneous and circulatory changes and possibly gastrointestinal disturbance and collapse. There is significant intravascular volume redistribution which can lead to decreased cardiac output. Acute ventricular failure and myocardial ischemia may occur. Upper airway occlusion secondary to angioedema, bronchospasm and mucus plugging of smaller airways all contribute to significant hypoxia and difficulties with ventilation. Common triggers are a variety of drugs, latex, animal allergens and foods. The incidence of severe perioperative obstetric anaphylaxis is between 1 and 3.5 per 100,000, with a mortality rate of approximately 1%. See reference 44. Anaphylaxis is likely when all of the following three criteria are met. Sudden onset and rapid progression of symptoms. Life-threatening airway and or breathing and or circulation problems. Skin and or mucosal changes. Flushing, urticaria, angioedema. Exposure to a known allergen the woman supports the diagnosis. Many cases occur with no previous history. Mast cell tryptase levels can be useful in confirming the diagnosis. As a minimum, one sample at one to two hours after the start of symptoms should be taken. Ideally though, three timed samples should be taken as soon as possible after resuscitation has started without delaying resuscitation, one to two hours after the start of symptoms and 24 hours later. See reference 44. Evidence level 4. Subsection 4.2.10. Other causes. These include hypoglycemia, hyponatremia, reference 45, and other metabolic and electrolyte disturbances. Other causes of hypoxia include airway obstruction, secondary to aspiration or foreign body, air embolism, tension pneumothorax, cardiac tamponade, secondary to trauma or dissection, and hypothermia. From an anaesthetic perspective, the main cause of collapse would be local anaesthetic toxicity or failed tracheal intubation. There will be other very unusual and rare causes of maternal collapse, but detailed discussion of all causes is beyond the scope of this guideline. Subsection 4.3. What are the physiological and anatomical changes in pregnancy that affect resuscitation? Recommendation on what the physiological and anatomical changes in pregnancy that affect resuscitation are. Recommendation. It is essential that anyone involved in the resuscitation of pregnant women is aware of the physiological differences. This includes pre-hospital care clinicians, paramedics and emergency medicine department staff. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. 
evidence to support the recommendation on what the physiological and anatomical changes in pregnancy that affect resuscitation are. Pregnant women undergo a variety of physiological changes that can accelerate the development of hypoxia and acidosis and make ventilation more difficult. See reference 46. These changes are listed in Appendix 3, also see reference 47, and combined with other physical changes make resuscitation during pregnancy more challenging. It is essential that anyone involved in the resuscitation of a pregnant woman is aware of these differences. This includes paramedics, critical care staff and emergency medicine department staff. Evidence level 2 plus. Subsection 4.3.1 Aortocable Compression Recommendation on Aortocable Compression Recommendation Aortocable compression significantly reduces cardiac output from 20 weeks of gestation onwards and the efficacy of chest compressions during resuscitation. Grade of recommendation, C. Evidence to support recommendations on aortocable compression. From around 20 weeks of gestation onwards, the gravid uterus reduces venous return in the supine position. As a consequence, cardiac output is reduced by up to 30 to 40%. See reference 48. Supine hypotension itself can precipitate maternal collapse, which is usually reversed by turning the woman into the left lateral position. Evidence level 2 plus. When cardiopulmonary arrest occurs, Chest compressions are needed to produce a cardiac output. In the non-pregnant situation, they achieve around 30% of the normal cardiac output. See references 49 to 51. Aortocable compression further reduces cardiac output to approximately 10% of the non-pregnant cardiac output. See reference 52. Therefore, cardiopulmonary resuscitation CPR is less likely to be effective in a woman who is at 20 or more weeks of gestation. Evidence level 2 plus. Subsection 4.3.2 Respiratory Changes Recommendation for Respiratory Changes Recommendation Changes in lung function, diaphragmatic splinting and increased oxygen consumption make pregnant women become hypoxic more readily and make ventilation more difficult. Grade of recommendation, C. Evidence to support recommendations for respiratory changes. The increased progesterone level in pregnancy increases the respiratory drive, reference 53 and 54, leading to an increase in tidal volume and minute ventilation. Splinting of the diaphragm by an enlarged uterus reduces the functional residual capacity, FRC, and also makes ventilation more difficult. Reduction in the functional residual capacity, along with the markedly increased oxygen consumption of the fetoplacental unit, means that pregnant women become hypoxic 
much more rapidly during periods of hypoventilation. Evidence level 2 plus. Subsection 4.3.3 Intubation Recommendation on intubation Recommendation Difficult intubation is more likely in pregnancy. Grade of recommendation C. Evidence supporting the recommendation on intubation. Weight gain in pregnancy, large breasts inhibiting the working space and laryngeal edema can all contribute to making intubation more difficult. See reference 55 and 56. Evidence level 2 plus. Subsection 4.3.4 Aspiration Recommendation on aspiration Recommendation Pregnant women are at an increased risk of aspiration Grade of recommendation C Evidence supporting the recommendation on aspiration Pregnant women are at a significantly higher risk of regurgitation and aspiration secondary to the progesterone effect relaxing the lower esophageal sphincter along with the raised intra-abdominal pressure secondary to the gravid uterus. During labour or following maternal opioid administration there can also be a delay in gastric emptying. Aspiration pneumonitis in pregnant women known as Mendelssohn syndrome reference 57 can be severe. The risks can be minimised by early intubation, effective cricoid pressure and the use of H2 antagonists and antacids prophylactically in all women considered to be at high risk of obstetric intervention during labour. Evidence level 2+. Subsection 4.3.5 Circulation The increased cardiac output and hyperdynamic circulation of pregnancy mean that large volumes of blood can be lost rapidly, especially from the uterus which receives 10% of the cardiac output at term. Otherwise healthy women tolerate blood loss remarkably well and can lose up to 35% of their circulation before becoming symptomatic. And often maternal tachycardia may be the only sign of hypovolemia until very late in the haemorrhage. Blood loss is tolerated less well if there is a pre-existing maternal anemia, reference 58, and the clotting is less efficient if there is significant anemia. Concealed bleeding and underestimation of loss means that intervention is often delayed. Where signs of hypovolemia have become subtle, Hypovolemia as the cause of maternal cardiopulmonary arrest may go unrecognised. Evidence level 4. Subsection 4.4. What is the optimal initial management of maternal collapse? Subsection 4.4.1. Resuscitation in maternal collapse. Recommendations for resuscitation in maternal collapse. Recommendation. Maternal collapse resuscitation should follow the Resuscitation Council UK guidelines using the standard A, B, C, D, E approach, with some modifications for maternal physiology, in particular relief of aortocable compression. Grade of recommendation 
D. Recommendation. If maternal cardiac arrest occurs in the community setting, basic life support should be administered and rapid transfer arranged. Grade of recommendation, good practice points. Evidence supporting the recommendations for resuscitation in maternal collapse. In the UK, resuscitation is conducted according to the guidelines of the Resuscitation Council UK. These guidelines include adult basic life support, adult advanced life support, and automated external defibrillation algorithms and recommendations. See reference 24. These guidelines were updated in 2015 by international experts under the auspices of the International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation, reference 59, and are used in the resuscitation of a pregnant woman, evidence level 4. Maternal collapse can occur in the community setting, and pre-hospital care of the collapsed pregnant patient should follow the same guidance from the Resuscitation Council UK listed above, and will be delivered by ambulance paramedics and or pre-hospital care clinicians. The care standards delivered in the pre-hospital setting have been well documented in the UK Ambulance Service Clinical Practice Guidelines Pocketbook and Emergency Birth in the Community Guideline. See reference 60 and 61. In the event of maternal collapse, signs of life should be sought if the assessor is confident in this check for breathing and carotid pulse. If the assessor is not confident or there is any doubt in the detection of signs of life, cardiopulmonary resuscitation should be commenced. However, if signs of life are detected, a standard A, B, C, D, E approach should be taken. The woman should be placed in the left lateral position Obstetric review should be sought, the need for oxygen therapy should be assessed, adequate vascular access should be gained. An alert verbal stimulus, pain stimulus, unresponsive, AVPU assessment should be undertaken as an alteration of consciousness can be a sign of critical illness. The cause of maternal collapse should be rapidly identified and treated to prevent potential progression to maternal cardiorespiratory arrest. Ongoing regular ABCDE assessment should be performed as the risk of progression to cardiac arrest remains until the cause of collapse is treated. Assessment of fetal well-being should be undertaken after the ABCDE assessment. Appendix 4. If signs of life are not detected in the hospital setting, a cardiac arrest should be declared and the cardiac arrest team called. An emergency call for the obstetric, obstetric anaesthetist and neonatal resuscitation teams should be made if undelivered and more than 22 weeks gestation. The consultant obstetrician and consultant anaesthetist should also attend. Standard basic life support should be initiated. See reference 62. Evidence level 4. From 20 weeks of gestation, changes in maternal physiology, 
mean that adaptations are made to the resuscitation process. While Resuscitation Council UK algorithms for generic, paediatric and neonatal life support are available in standardised posters, adaptations for maternal resuscitation are addressed but are not available in algorithmic and poster form. For this reason, the Resuscitation Council UK algorithm for advanced life support has been modified by the authors and is included in Appendix 4 of this guideline. Subsection 4.4.2 Relieving Aortocable Compression Recommendations for Relieving Aortocable Compression Recommendation Manual displacement of the uterus to the left is effective in relieving aortocable compression in women above 20 weeks gestation or where the uterus is palpable at or above the level of the umbilicus. This permits effective chest compression in the supine position in the event of cardiac arrest. Grade of recommendation D. Recommendation a left lateral tilt of the woman from head to toe at an angle of 15 to 30 degrees on a firm surface will relieve aortocable compression in the majority of pregnant women and still allow effective chest compressions to be performed in the event of a cardiac arrest. Grade of recommendation C. Recommendation In cases of major trauma, the spine should be protected with a spinal board before any tilt is applied. In the absence of a spinal board, manual displacement of the uterus should be used. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support recommendations for relieving aortocable compression. There are essential adaptations to the management of a collapsed pregnant woman because of the physiological and anatomical changes of pregnancy. After 20 weeks gestation, or when the uterus is palpable at or above the level of the umbilicus, manual uterine displacement is the preferred method to reduce compression of the inferior vena cava and aorta by the gravid uterus if performed correctly. This technique should be performed using an up off and over method. See reference 63 and 64. This is achieved by placing a hand below the uterus on the maternal right and pushing the uterus slightly upwards and to the left. This maintains the woman in a supine position, allowing for continuous effective cardiac compressions if necessary. See reference 65. Evidence level 2 plus. A left lateral tilt of the woman from head to toe at an angle of 15 to 30 degrees to relieve aortocable compression, reference 66 and 67, can be achieved on a tilting operating table with a solid wedge of an appropriate size and a spinal board and allow for effective chest compressions to be performed. See reference 67. In the absence of these, manual displacement of the uterus is preferable. Using soft surfaces such as a bed or objects such as pillows or blankets 
are not nearly as effective, compromise effective chest compressions and should not be used. A video of the procedure can be found on YouTube. Evidence level 2 plus. Subsection 4.4.3 Airway Recommendation on the airway Recommendation Intubation in an unconscious woman with a cuffed endotracheal tube should be performed immediately by an experienced anaesthetist. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence for the recommendation on the airway. The airway in pregnancy is more vulnerable because of the increased risk of regurgitation and aspiration. See reference 63 and 69. For this reason, it is important to clear and protect the airway as early as possible. Intubation with a cuffed endotracheal tube should then be performed. This will protect the airway, ensure good oxygen delivery and facilitate more efficient ventilation. Intubation can be more difficult in pregnancy, so this should be undertaken by someone with appropriate skills. Failed intubation is more common in the pregnant than non-pregnant patient and a plan for failed intubation should always be considered. A full description of the failed intubation drill is available from the Difficult Airway Society. See reference 70. In brief, maintain oxygenation, call for help, supraglottic airway device, front of neck access. During cardiac arrest in a non-pregnant woman, it is acceptable to use a supraglottic device such as a laryngeal mask airway as an alternative to the endotracheal tube. See reference 71. In pregnant women, physiological changes in the airway such as hyperemia, hypersecretion and edema lead to increased friability of the airway mucosa, causing bleeding and difficulties in visualisation for intubation. See reference 69. Pregnant women are also more likely to regurgitate and aspirate in the absence of a secured airway, endotracheal tube, than a non-pregnant woman, and thus the early involvement of an appropriately skilled anaesthetist remains best practice. See reference 69. Evidence level 4. Waveform capnography must be used to confirm and continually monitor tracheal tube placement and may be used to monitor the quality of CPR and to provide an early indication of return to spontaneous circulation. See reference 24. Appendix 5 of this guideline presents suggested equipment that should be available for cases where airway management may be difficult. Subsection 4.4.4 Breathing Recommendations on breathing Recommendation Supplemental high flow oxygen should be administered as soon as possible to counteract rapid deoxygenation. Grade of recommendation Good practice point Recommendation. Bag and mask ventilation or insertion of a simple supraglottic airway 
should be undertaken until intubation can be achieved. Grade of recommendation, good practice points. Evidence to support the recommendations on breathing. Maternal physiological changes can lead to increased oxygen requirements. Furthermore, in maternal collapse, reduced oxygen reserve and a reduced functional residual capacity leads to deoxygenation occurring more rapidly than in non-pregnant women. Therefore, supplemental oxygen should be added with a gas flow of 10 to 15 litres per minute to whatever method of ventilation is being employed. See reference 62. Evidence level 2++. Ventilation using a face mask or supraglottic airway device and self-inflating bag or via a cuffed endotracheal tube may be more difficult because of the physiological changes of pregnancy as previously described. It can also be difficult to see the chest rise. Subsection 4.4.5 Circulation Recommendations on Circulation Recommendation If the airway is clear and there is no breathing, chest compressions should be commenced immediately. Grade of recommendation B Recommendation 2. Wide bore cannulae, minimum 16 gauge should be inserted as soon as possible. If peripheral venous access is not possible, early consideration of central venous access, intraosseous access, or venous cutdown should be considered. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, there should be an aggressive approach to volume replacement although caution should be exercised in the context of preeclampsia or eclampsia. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, abdominal ultrasound by a skilled operator can assist in the diagnosis of concealed hemorrhage. Grade of recommendation, C. Recommendation, the same defibrillation energy levels should be used as in a non-pregnant woman. Grade of recommendation B. Evidence to support the recommendations on circulation. Chest compressions should be commenced immediately in the absence of a cardiac output. See reference 72. Compressions may be made difficult because of obesity and if the woman is in the tilted position. Hand position should be over the centre of the chest and it is important to ensure that the direction of compression is perpendicular to the chest wall. If a left lateral tilt is employed, then the angle of tilt must be taken into account when performing chest compression. Immediate and competent chest compressions have been found to have a direct impact on maternal outcome. See reference 72. Evidence level 2++. If there are two rescuers, one should be responsible for chest compressions and ventilation breaths, whilst the other should ensure aortocable decompression with manual uterine displacement. 
once intubation is performed, the ratio of chest compressions to ventilation breaths should be desynchronized. Ventilation should be at a rate of 10 breaths per minute with continuous chest compressions at 100 to 120 per minute. Because chest compressions are not as effective after 20 weeks of gestation, there should be early recourse to delivery of the fetus and placenta if CPR is not effective. See reference 24. In women with a very high BMI, chest compressions can be performed over the head of the woman if there is suboptimal rescue positioning. See reference 73. Evidence level 2++. Ideally, early vascular access will be obtained with wide-bore intravenous cannulae inserted above the level of the diaphragm. This allows the administration of fluids to not be affected by aortocable compression. If peripheral access is difficult, there should be early consideration of central venous access, intraosseous access, reference 74, or venous cutdown to aid volume replacement. If peripheral venous access is difficult, there should be early consideration of central venous access, intraosseous access, reference 74, or venous cutdown to aid volume replacement. Hemorrhage is the most common cause of maternal collapse and is a consequence of other causes of collapse. There must be a high index of suspicion for bleeding and awareness of the limitations of maternal clinical signs. Caution must be exercised in the clinical context of severe preeclampsia and eclampsia, where fluid overload can contribute to poor outcome. In the case where significant hemorrhage and preeclampsia or eclampsia exist, careful fluid management is essential. Very occasionally, ultrasound by a skilled operator can assist in the diagnosis of free fluid associated with intra-abdominal bleeding, although laparotomy should not be delayed if the findings are negative and or the index of suspicion is high. See references 75 to 78. This, however, should not interfere with the resuscitation process. Evidence level 2 plus. If defibrillation is required, the same settings should be used as in the non-pregnant adult, as there is no change in thoracic impedance. See reference 79. Adhesive defibrillator pads are preferable to defibrillator paddles, and the left defibrillation pad should be applied lateral to the left breast. If the woman's breasts are large or engorged, defibrillator pads may need to be placed on the anterior and posterior precordium to optimise defibrillation energy transfer. See reference 72. The energy from the defibrillation shock is directed across the heart and there is no evidence that shocks from a direct current defibrillator have an adverse effect on the fetus. Uterine monitors should be removed before shock delivery. Evidence level 2++. Subsection 4.4.6. Drugs. Recommendation on drugs. Recommendation. There should be no alteration in algorithm drugs or doses 
used in the Resuscitation Council UK protocols. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Subsection 4.4.7 Other considerations. Recommendations for other considerations. Recommendation. Common reversible causes of maternal cardiopulmonary arrest should be considered throughout the resuscitation process. Grade of recommendation, D. Recommendation. Resuscitation efforts should be continued until a decision is taken by the consultant obstetrician and consultant anaesthetist to discontinue resuscitation efforts. This decision should be made in consensus with the cardiac arrest team. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendations for other considerations. Throughout the resuscitation process, consideration should be given to the cause of the collapse so that ongoing therapy can be directed towards the specific cause to optimise outcome. See reference 4. Evidence level 4. Subsection 4.5. When, where and how should perimortem caesarean section, PMCS, be performed. Recommendations for when, where and how perimortem caesarean section should be performed. Recommendation. In women over 20 weeks of gestation, if there is no response to correctly performed CPR within four minutes of maternal collapse or if resuscitation is continued beyond this, then perimortem caesarean section should be undertaken to assist maternal resuscitation. Ideally, this should be achieved within five minutes of the collapse. Grade of recommendation, D. Recommendation. Perimortem caesarean section should not be delayed by moving the woman. It should be performed where the maternal collapse has occurred and resuscitation is taking place. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. The operator should use the incision which will facilitate the most rapid access. This may be a midline vertical incision or a suprapubic transverse incision. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. A scalpel and umbilical cord clamps or alternative ligatures should be available on the resuscitation trolley in all areas where maternal collapse may occur, including the accident and emergency department. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendations for where, when and how perimortem caesarean section should be performed. The concept of perimortem caesarean section was introduced by Katz et al in 1986. See reference 80. This research group initially focused on infant survival and found that 69% of infants survived when perimortem caesarean section was performed within five minutes. However, when Katz et al explored maternal outcomes, they found that hypoxic brain injury only occurred if perimortem caesarean section was performed after six minutes.
Although the research basis for this recommendation is scarce, the rationale for this timescale is that pregnant women become hypoxic more quickly than non-pregnant women and irreversible brain damage can ensue within four to six minutes. The term resuscitative hysterotomy, reference 81, has been introduced by non-obstetric clinicians, for example, emergency medicine clinicians and paramedics, in the trauma and emergency department environments, as the procedure is primarily used to assist maternal resuscitation rather than to save the fetus. Obstetricians should be aware of this terminology to ensure effective communication. See reference 82. The gravid uterus impairs venous return and thus reduces cardiac output by approximately 60%, secondary to aortocable compression. See reference 83. Delivery of the fetus and placenta reduces oxygen consumption, improves venous return and cardiac output, facilitates chest compressions and makes ventilation easier. It also allows for internal chest compressions by inserting the hand through the open abdomen up to the diaphragm and compressing the posterior aspect of the heart against the chest wall. This improves cardiac output beyond that achieved in closed chest compressions. See reference 84. At less than 20 weeks of gestation, there is no proven benefit from delivery of the fetus and placenta. Perimortem caesarean section should be considered a resuscitative procedure to be performed primarily in the interests of maternal survival. Evidence level 4. Delivery within 5 minutes of maternal collapse improves the chances of survival for the baby. If maternal resuscitation is continuing beyond 4 minutes of the collapse, delivery of the fetus and placenta should be performed as soon as possible to aid this, even if the fetus is already dead. Case series have shown that swift delivery of the baby improves maternal outcome even after five minutes have elapsed from the maternal collapse. See reference 85. There is, of course, the possibility that the outcome could be that the surviving child has sustained damage in an attempt to preserve the life of the mother. Evidence level 2 plus. Time should not be wasted by moving the woman to an operating theatre. A perimortem caesarean section can be performed anywhere, with a scalpel being the only essential equipment required. See reference 86 and 87. With no circulation, blood loss is minimal and no anaesthetic is required. If resuscitation is successful following birth, there should be a prompt transfer to an appropriate environment at that point, as well as anaesthesia and sedation to control ensuing hemorrhage and complete the operation. The doctrine of best interests of the patient would apply to conduct of this procedure being carried out without consent. Evidence level four. In terms of the best incision to use, 
a midline abdominal incision and a classical uterine incision will give the most rapid access. However, many will be unfamiliar with this approach and as delivery can be achieved rapidly with a transverse approach, the operator should use the approach they are most comfortable with. See reference 86. Manual uterine displacement can be stopped immediately prior to incision. If resuscitation is successful, the uterus and abdomen should be closed in the usual way to control blood loss and minimize the risk of infection. Where the resuscitation is not successful, the case should be discussed with the coroner or procurator fiscal to determine whether a post-mortem is required before any medical devices such as lines or endotracheal tube are removed as per the Royal College of Pathologists recommendations. See reference 88, evidence level 2++. To ensure there are no delays in executing a perimortem caesarean section when indicated, the equipment necessary should be immediately available on the resuscitation trolley. All that is required is a fixed blade scalpel and two clamps for the umbilical cord. In the absence of a specific tray, a scalpel alone will enable delivery of the fetus and placenta and cutting of the umbilical cord, which can then be manually compressed until a clamp is found if the baby is alive. Subsection 4.6 what does the ongoing management consist of? Recommendations for what ongoing management consists of. Recommendation. Senior staff with appropriate experience should be involved at an early stage. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Transfer should be supervised by an adequately skilled team with appropriate equipment. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendations for what ongoing management consists of. Ongoing management depends on the underlying cause of the collapse and appropriate senior staff must be involved early. It is essential the woman is transferred to an appropriate environment to ensure optimal ongoing care. This would usually mean transfer to a high dependency or critical care area with appropriate staff and monitoring facilities. See reference 68. Please see Appendix 6 for more information on post-collapse management. Subsection 4.6.1. Hemorrhage. Recommendations on hemorrhage. Recommendations. In the case of maternal collapse secondary to antepartum hemorrhage, the fetus and placenta should be delivered promptly to allow control of the hemorrhage. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. In the case of massive placental abruption, caesarean section may occasionally be indicated, even if the fetus is dead, to rapidly allow control of the hemorrhage. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, 
intravenous tranexamic acid significantly reduces mortality due to postpartum hemorrhage. Grade of recommendation A. Evidence to support the recommendations on hemorrhage. The ongoing management of major antipartum hemorrhage is comprehensively covered in the RCOG Green Top Guideline number 63, Antipartum Hemorrhage. See reference 89, evidence level 4. Management of collapse secondary to massive hemorrhage as a result of placenta previa should be managed in accordance with the RCOG Green Top Guideline number 27A and 27B. Placenta previa and placenta previa accreta diagnosis management and vasoprevia diagnosis and management. See references 90 and 91. Evidence level 4. The ongoing management of major postpartum hemorrhage is comprehensively covered in the RCOG Green Top Guideline number 52. Postpartum hemorrhage, prevention and management. See reference 92. Evidence level 4. A large randomised control study, reference 93, including more than 20,000 women comparing 1 gram intravenous tranexamic acid with placebo in cases of postpartum haemorrhage demonstrated a significant reduction in death from haemorrhage, particularly if given within 3 hours. Evidence level 1++. Plus plus. Subsection 4.6.2 Venous Thromboembolism Recommendations for Venous Thromboembolism Recommendation Massive pulmonary embolism should be treated according to the RCOG Green Top Guideline number 37B Acute Management of Thrombosis and Embolism During Pregnancy and the Puerperium Grade of recommendation D. Evidence to support the recommendation for venous thromboembolism. The specific management of massive pulmonary embolism is covered in the RCOG Green Top Guideline number 37B, Acute Management of Thrombosis and Embolism During Pregnancy and the Puerperium. See reference 94. This includes the use of thrombolysis. Evidence level 4. Subsection 4.6.3 Amniotic Fluid Embolism AFE Recommendations for Amniotic Fluid Embolism Recommendation The management of amniotic fluid embolism is supportive rather than specific as there is no proven effective therapy. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, early involvement of senior experienced staff, including obstetricians, anaesthetists, hematologists, and intensivists is essential to optimize outcome. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, Coagulopathy needs early aggressive treatment 
including the use of fresh frozen plasma. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. Recombinant factor seven should only be used if coagulopathy cannot be corrected by massive blood component replacement as it has been associated with poorer outcomes in women with amniotic fluid embolism. Grade of recommendation, C. Evidence to support the recommendations for amniotic fluid embolism. There is no proven effective therapy for the management of amniotic fluid embolism. It is therefore supportive rather than specific. See references 3 and 95. Evidence level 2++. In addition to resuscitation, and supportive measures, arrhythmias may develop and will require standard treatment. Ionotropic support is likely to be needed and measurement of cardiac output may help direct therapy and avoid fluid overload. Fluid overload will exacerbate pulmonary edema and increase the risk of acute respiratory distress syndrome. High filling pressures are indicative of a failing left ventricle. In women with amniotic fluid embolism, those treated with recombinant factor 7 were found to have worse outcomes than those not treated with recombinant factor 7. Therefore, recombinant factor 7 should only be used in patients with amniotic fluid embolism where hemorrhage cannot be stopped by massive blood component replacement. See references 29 and 96. Evidence level 2+. If undelivered, delivery of the fetus and placenta should be performed as soon as possible. The incidence of uterine atony is increased in this condition and contributes to the postpartum hemorrhage. This should be managed as described in the RCOG Greentop Guideline on Postpartum Hemorrhage. See reference 92. Evidence level 2++. Various other therapies have been tried, including steroids, heparin, plasmapheresis, and hemofiltration, usually in single cases. As such, there is no robust evidence to support their use. See reference 29, evidence level 2+. Subsection 4.6.4, cardiac disease. Recommendation for cardiac disease. Recommendation. After successful resuscitation, cardiac cases should be managed by an expert cardiology team. Grade of recommendation good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendation for cardiac disease. After initial resuscitation, the ongoing management of cardiac disease is similar to that in the non-pregnant state. Although in many cases, delivery will be necessary to facilitate this. Evidence level four. Although thrombolysis can be associated with significant bleeding from the placental site, it should be given to women with acute coronary insufficiency, although caution should be exercised in the perioperative period. 
See reference 97. If available, percutaneous angioplasty allows accurate diagnosis and definitive therapy. Evidence level 4. Subsection 4.6.5 Sepsis Recommendation on sepsis Recommendation Septic shock should be managed in accordance with the Surviving Sepsis Campaign Guidelines. Grade of Recommendation D Evidence to support the recommendation on sepsis the Surviving Sepsis Campaign has updated the management of sepsis and septic shock. See reference 98. The speed and appropriateness of therapy administered in the initial hours after severe sepsis develops are likely to influence outcome with early resuscitation improving survival rates. A multidisciplinary team approach is required, including midwives, consultant obstetricians, anaesthetists, haematologists, intensivists, and microbiologists. The following care bundle should be applied immediately or within six hours and has been shown to significantly improve survival rates. References 99 and 100. 1. Measure serum lactate. 2. Obtain blood cultures and culture swabs prior to antibiotic administration. 3. Administer broad-spectrum antibiotics within the first hour of recognition of severe sepsis and septic shock, according to local protocol. 4. In the event of hypotension and or lactate more than 4 millimoles per litre, A. Begin rapid administration of an initial minimum of 30 mils per kilogram of crystalloid to be completed within three hours of diagnosis. B. Once adequate volume replacement has been achieved, a vasopressor, noradrenaline, with vasopressin or adrenaline in addition, if required, and or an inotrope, for example, dobutamine, may be used to maintain mean arterial pressure more than 65 millimeters of mercury. Further management consists of 5. In the event of hypotension despite fluid resuscitation and or lactate more than 4 millimoles per liter. A. Dynamic variables of fluid status such as transesophageal Doppler and lithium dilution cardiac output, LIDCO, are preferred to static variables like central venous pressure or pulmonary artery occlusion pressure and the use of central venous pressure alone to guide fluid resuscitation can no longer be justified. B. Consider steroids if unresponsive to adequate fluid resuscitation and vasopressor therapy. C. Maintain oxygen saturations at more than 94%, 88-92% in women at risk of hypercapnic respiratory failure with facial oxygen. See reference 94. Consider transfusion if haemoglobin is less than 70 grams per litre. 
ongoing management involves continued supportive therapy, removing the septic focus, administration of blood products if required, and thromboprophylaxis. See reference 99, evidence level 1 plus. Subsection 4.6.6, drug overdose and toxicity. Many drug overdoses have treatment specific to the drug in question and appropriate help should be sought in the management of such cases, including liaising with Toxbase and speaking to the GP or local pharmacist. In obstetric practice, the two main drugs that can give rise to overdose or toxic problems are magnesium sulfate and local anaesthetic agents. Subsection 4.6.6.1 Magnesium Sulfate Recommendation on Magnesium Sulfate Recommendation The antidote to magnesium toxicity is 10 mils 10% calcium gluconate or 10 mils 10% calcium chloride given by slow intravenous injection. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendation on magnesium sulfate. Magnesium sulfate toxicity should be managed by slow intravenous injection of 10 mils 10% calcium gluconate or 10 mils 10% calcium chloride. See reference 101. Subsection 4.6.6.2 Local Anesthetic Agents Recommendations for Local Anesthetic Agents Recommendation If local anesthetic toxicity is suspected, stop injecting immediately. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. Lipid rescue should be used in cases of collapse secondary to local anaesthetic toxicity. Grade of recommendation, C. Recommendation. Intralipid, 20%, should be available in all hospitals offering maternity services. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. Manage arrhythmias as usual, recognising that they may be very refractory to treatment. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, all cases of lipid rescue should be reported to NHS Improvement and the Lipid Rescue Site. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendations for local anaesthetic agents. The mechanism by which lipids reverse local anaesthetic cardiotoxicity may be increasing clearance from cardiac tissue. This non-specific observed extraction of local anaesthetics from aqueous plasma or cardiac tissues is termed a lipid sink. Another proposed mechanism is that lipids counteract local anaesthetic inhibition of myocardial fatty acid oxidation, thereby enabling energy production and reversing cardiac depression. 
Treatment of cardiac arrest with lipid emulsion, references 42 and 102, consists of an intravenous bolus injection of intralipid, Baxter Healthcare Corporation, Deerfield, Illinois, USA, 20%, 1.5 mils per kilogram over one minute, 100 mils for a woman weighing 70 kilograms followed by an intravenous infusion of intralipid 20%, 15 mils per kilogram per hour, 1,000 mils per hour for a woman weighing 70 kilograms. The bolus injection can be repeated twice at five-minute intervals if an adequate circulation has not been restored. A further 200 mil boluses at 5 minute intervals for a woman weighing 70 kilograms. After another 5 minutes, the infusion rate should be increased to 30 mils per kilogram per hour if an adequate circulation has not been restored. Do not exceed a maximum cumulative dose of 12 mils per kilogram. 840 mils for a woman weighing 70 kilograms. CPR should be continued throughout this process until an adequate circulation has been restored. This may take over one hour. See reference 103, evidence level 2 plus. Prolonged resuscitation may be necessary and it may be appropriate to consider other options. The first line treatment should be lipid emulsion, but if the facilities are available, some may consider the use of cardiopulmonary bypass. All cases of lipid rescue should be reported to NHS Improvement, www.nrls.npsa nhs.uk and to the Lipid Rescue site www.lipidrescue.org. The Association of Anaesthetists of Great Britain and Ireland provide guidance on the management of severe local anaesthetic toxicity which can be used locally. See reference 103. Subsection 4.6.7 Eclampsia Recommendation for Eclampsia Recommendation Eclampsia should be managed in accordance with the NICE Clinical Guideline 107 Hypertension in Pregnancy, Diagnosis and Management Grade of Recommendation D Evidence to support the recommendation for Eclampsia Guidance regarding the management of eclampsia can be found in the NICE guideline on hypertension in pregnancy. See reference 104. Subsection 4.6.8 Intracranial Hemorrhage Recommendation for Intracranial Hemorrhage Recommendation Neuroradiologists and neurosurgeons should be involved in the care of pregnant women with intracranial hemorrhage at the earliest opportunity. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. 
evidence to support the recommendation for intracranial hemorrhage. Expert neuroradiology is required to establish an accurate diagnosis and management is the same as in non-pregnant women, although delivery may be necessary to facilitate this. See reference 105, evidence level 4. Subsection 4.6.9, anaphylaxis. Recommendations for anaphylaxis. Recommendation. In cases of anaphylaxis, all potential causative agents should be removed and the A, B, C, D, E approach to assessment and resuscitation followed. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. If the anaphylactic reaction occurs in the community, the woman should have basic life support and be transferred to a hospital setting as quickly as possible, unless a suitably trained healthcare professional is present with appropriate equipment and drugs, in which case definitive resuscitation and treatment should be commenced. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. The treatment for anaphylaxis is 1 in 1,000 adrenaline 500 micrograms, 0.5 mils, intramuscularly. This dose is for intramuscular use only. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendations for anaphylaxis. In cases of anaphylaxis, all potential causative agents should be removed and the A, B, C, D, E approach followed. See references 44 and 106. Evidence level 4. Adrenaline treatment can be repeated after 5 minutes if there is no effect. See reference 44 and 107. In experienced hands, 50 microgram bolus, 0.5 mils of 1 in 10,000 solution, can be titrated intravenously. Adjuvant therapy consists of chlorphenamine, 10 milligrams, and hydrocortisone, 200 milligrams. Both are given intramuscularly or by slow intravenous injection. See references 44 and 106. Evidence level 4. Subsection 4.7. What are the outcomes for mother and baby? Recommendation for what the outcomes for the mother and baby are. Recommendation. Outcomes for mothers and babies depend on the cause of collapse, gestational age, and access to emergency care, with survival rates being poorer if the collapse occurs out of hospital. In maternal cardiac arrest, maternal survival rates of over 50% have been reported. Grade of recommendation, C. Evidence to support the recommendation for what the outcomes for the mother and baby are. Due to the lack of robust population data, it is not possible to be accurate 
regarding maternal and neonatal outcomes of maternal collapse. There remains a significant reporter bias in publications relating to the topic. The Embrace UK Saving Lives and Improving Mothers Care Report and UK Obstetric Surveillance Systems Studies provide robust data for maternal survival for individual conditions such as amniotic fluid embolism and sepsis. The general trend of reducing numbers of maternal deaths despite a plateau in the number of maternities demonstrated by Embrace UK suggests that survival from maternal collapse is improving. See references 2 and 3. Evidence level 2 plus. A UCOS prospective cohort study identified 66 cardiac arrests between July 2011 and June 2014, resulting in an incidence of 2.78 per 100,000 maternities. See reference 39. In all, 28 women died. Case fatality rate 42%. Basic and advanced life support were quickly delivered. Women who collapsed at home were more likely to die. Perimortem caesarean section was performed on 49 women. 11 of these performed in the emergency department. Time intervals between collapse and perimortem caesarean section were significantly shorter in women who survived compared with those who died. Median interval, 3 minutes versus 12 minutes. P equals 0.001. Evidence level 2+. The latest systematic review to study the efficacy of perimortem caesarean section was published in 2012 by Einav et al. See reference 87. This review identified a total of 80 relevant publications that reported the outcomes of 94 women. In 31.7% of identified cases of perimortem caesarean section, the procedure was found to be of benefit for maternal or fetal survival. No harm was found in any of the 94 women who underwent perimortem caesarean section. When analysing maternal outcome, 54.3% of women survived until hospital discharge and 42.6% of women survived with good to moderately impaired neurological outcome. Although the study was unable to validate the need to deliver by five minutes duration, it was able to demonstrate that maternal outcomes were more favourable if performed within 10 minutes of maternal cardiac arrest, odds ratio 7.42, p-value less than 0.05. Neonatal survival was also associated with a shorter mean cardiac arrest to delivery time, 14 plus or minus 11 minutes, versus 22 plus or minus 13 minutes. Neonatal survival was only found in women who suffered cardiac arrest in hospital 
and there were reports of neonatal survival where delivery was performed 30 minutes after maternal cardiac arrest. Evidence level 2+. The Embrace UK report 2016 described the neonatal outcomes of the 32 babies born by perimortem caesarean section. See reference 3. Of these babies, 19 were delivered by caesarean section after 32 weeks of gestation. Nine of the 19 babies survived. Of the 13 babies born by perimortem caesarean section at 32 weeks of gestation or less, only three survived. Therefore, the overall neonatal survival of babies delivered by perimortem caesarean section was 38%. Survival was directly associated with advanced gestation and delivery within a suitable birthing or critical care setting. Evidence level 2+. There have been successful cases of somatic support after maternal brain death to facilitate neonatal outcome. See reference 107. The longest being from 15 weeks of gestation to birth at 32 weeks of gestation. See reference 108. This process is not without difficulties, both in medical terms and ethically. Reference 109. And what is not known is how many such cases have not been successful. In view of the complex nature of such cases, a multidisciplinary discussion, including the family, should be conducted in each case. Evidence level 2 minus. Subsection 4.8 Who should be on the team? Recommendations for who should be on the team. Recommendation In addition to the general arrest team, there should also be a senior midwife an obstetrician and an obstetric anaesthetist included in the team in case of maternal collapse. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, the most senior obstetrician and senior anaesthetist should be called at the time of a cardiopulmonary arrest call. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. The neonatal team should be called early if delivery is likely. Antipartum collapse over 22 weeks of gestation. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Recommendation. Where the woman survives, a consultant intensivist should be involved as soon as possible. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendations for who should be on the team. If the maternity unit is an integral part of a general hospital, the maternal CPR team should be the hospital cardiopulmonary arrest team with the addition of senior midwife, most senior resident obstetrician, usually ST3 to ST7, Resident anaesthetist who has recognised skills in obstetric anaesthesia, usually 
ST3 to ST7. This will mean that the request needs to be specific with common terminology so that the switchboard operators know exactly who to call. While managing the arrest, there must be dialogue between the team leader, the obstetrician and the obstetric anaesthetist as to how best to manage the pregnant women. In standalone consultant-led maternity units or those that are geographically distant from the main general hospital, the entire arrest team is often made up of staff within the maternity unit. In this case, the team is usually made up of senior midwifery staff, operating department practitioners, resident obstetric staff, and the resident obstetric anaesthetist. If a maternal collapse occurs in a standalone midwifery unit or home birth environment, the midwifery staff should provide life support and call a 999 ambulance to transfer the woman to the nearest appropriate environment. Maternity services that include a standalone midwifery unit should ensure that there is a written agreement with the ambulance service confirming the emergency status of a 999 call from the midwifery unit. Subsection 5. Clinical Governance. Subsection 5.1. Documentation. Recommendation for documentation. Recommendation. Accurate documentation is essential in all cases of maternal collapse whether or not resuscitation is successful. Grade of recommendation. Good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendation for documentation. Poor documentation remains a problem in all aspects of medicine and can have potential clinical and medical legal consequences. See reference 110. Contemporaneous note keeping is difficult in a resuscitation situation unless someone is subscribing. Those involved should then write full notes as soon as possible after the event. Evidence level 4. Subsection 5.2 Incident Reporting Recommendations for Incident Reporting Recommendation All cases of maternal collapse should generate a clinical incident form and the care should be reviewed through the clinical governance process. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation, all cases of maternal death should be reported to Embrace UK. Grade of recommendation, D. Evidence to support the recommendations for incident reporting. Maternal collapse is a rare and potentially devastating event and substandard care continues to be highlighted. See references 2 to 5. In all cases of maternal collapse, care should be reviewed to ensure individual and organisational learning. Staff and family should be reassured when care has been optimal. Evidence level 2+. In view of the significant reduction 
in maternal mortality over the years, robust population-based data regarding maternal collapse through a national reporting system would render valuable information about management and outcomes. National reporting and scrutiny of maternal deaths continue to provide valuable information and learning, as do confidential inquiries into severe morbidity. See reference to evidence level 2+. Subsection 5.3. Training. Recommendations for training. Recommendation. All generic life support training should consider the adaptation of CPR in pregnant women. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. All maternity staff should have annual, formal, multidisciplinary training in generic life support and the management of maternal collapse. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Recommendation. Life support training improves resuscitation skills. Grade of recommendation A. Recommendation. Small group multidisciplinary interactive practical training is recommended to improve the management of maternal collapse. Grade of recommendation C. Evidence to support the recommendations for training. All frontline staff must be aware of the adaptations for CPR in pregnancy. This includes paramedics who will deal with collapse in the community setting and accident and emergency department personnel, as well as staff within a maternity unit. The RCOG, the Royal College of Midwives and Embrace UK, reference 3, recommend that all staff undergo annual training in obstetric emergencies. Evidence level 4. Multidisciplinary team training in small groups has been shown to improve outcomes in all medical emergencies and there continues to be a wealth of data to demonstrate that this is particularly the case in obstetric emergencies. See reference 111. Interactive training has been shown to improve teamwork, communication, and the confidence of individual clinicians to manage obstetric emergencies and increase the incidence of perimortem caesarean section. See references 112 and 113. Evidence level 1 plus. The best method of training remains unclear, although there is evidence to support small group interactive training. See reference 111. Various courses exist. References 73, 114 and 115 and have been evaluated well by those undertaking them with individuals reporting an improved knowledge and confidence after course attendance. See reference 116. The ideal frequency of training is not clear, but this should occur at least annually for all staff. 
See reference 117, evidence level 2 minus. Subsection 5.4, debriefing. Recommendation on debriefing. Recommendation. Debriefing is recommended for the woman, the family, and the staff involved in the event. Grade of recommendation, good practice point. Evidence to support the recommendation on debriefing. Maternal collapse can be associated with post-traumatic stress disorder for the woman, her family, and for staff involved, postnatal depression, and tocophobia. Debriefing is an important part of holistic maternity care and should be offered by a competent professional to support the ongoing mental health of all concerned. See reference 115, evidence level 4. Section 6, Recommendations for Future Research. Investigate the effectiveness of CPR with manual uterine displacement versus maternal tilt. Determine the effectiveness of human factors and emergency simulation training for maternal collapse clinical scenarios. Investigate the best diagnostic and management strategies for amniotic fluid embolism. Section 7. Auditable Topics Proportion of staff undergoing regular training in life support. Target 100%. Proportion of staff undergoing regular training in maternal collapse. Target 100%. Audit of the management of maternal collapse. Target 100%. Compliance with incident reporting. Target 100%. Achievement of perimortem caesarean section within five minutes of collapse on hospital premises where there is no response to resuscitation. Target 100% in pregnancies over 20 weeks of gestation. Presence of a scalpel on resuscitation trolleys. Target 100%. Section 8. Useful links and support groups. UK Obstetric Surveillance System. UCOS. www.npeu.ox.ac.uk forward slash UKOS. S. Embrace UK. Mothers and babies. Reducing risk through audits and confidential inquiries across the UK. www.npeu.ox.ac.uk forward slash mbrrace hyphen UK. Advanced life support in obstetrics. Also www.also-uk.com. Practical obstetric 
multi-professional training prompt www.promptmaternity.org Managing Medical and Obstetric Emergencies and Trauma M. Moet Advanced Life Support Group ALSG www.alsg.org forward slash home The Birth Trauma Association www.birthtraumaassociation.org.uk Disclosures of Interest JC, TAJ and JG have declared no conflicts of interest. Full disclosures of interest for the developers, guideline committee and peer reviewers are available to view online as supporting information. Funding. All those involved in the development of the Green Top Guidelines, including the Guidelines Committee, Guideline Committee's co-chairs, Guideline Developers, Peer Reviewers and other reviewers are unpaid volunteers and receive no direct funding for their involvement in producing the guideline. The only exception to this are the Guideline Committee members who receive reimbursement for the expenses for attending the Guideline Committee meetings for standard RCOG activities. This is standard as per RCOG rules. One, explanation of guidelines and evidence levels. Appendix one outlines the classifications of the evidence levels of the text supporting the recommendations in this guideline and the grades of recommendation assigned to each recommendation based on the available evidence. The possible classifications of evidence levels are 1 plus plus, 1 plus, 1 minus, 2 plus plus, 2 plus, 2 minus, 3 and 4. The grades of recommendation used are A, B, C, D and good practice points. These are best practice based on the clinical experience of the guideline development group. For further information on how the classifications of the evidence levels and grades of recommendations are determined, please visit www.rcog.org.uk forward slash gtg56. Appendix 2 Causes of Maternal Collapse Appendix 2 consists of an anatomical diagram highlighting areas to consider when identifying causes of maternal collapse as well as listing the potential causes. It also includes a table outlining the reversible causes if maternal collapse and their causes in pregnancy should be of maternal collapse. It also includes a table outlining the reversible causes of maternal collapse 
and their causes in pregnancy. These are as follows. Four H's. One, hypovolemia, cause in pregnancy, bleeding, obstetric or other, may be concealed, or relative hypovolemia of dense spinal block, septic or neurogenic block. Two, hypoxia, pregnant women may be... Two, hypoxia, pregnant women can become hypoxic more quickly. Causes in pregnancy, cardiac events such as peripartum cardiomyopathy, myocardial infarction, aortic dissection, large vessel aneurysms. 3. Hypo or hyperkalemia and hyponatremia. Hypo and hyperkalemia are no more likely. Hyponatremia may be caused by oxytocin use. 4. Hypothermia. This is no more likely in pregnancy. The four T's. 1. Thromboembolism. Cause in pregnancy. Amniotic fluid embolus, pulmonary embolus, air embolus, myocardial infarction. 2. Toxicity. Cause in pregnancy, local anaesthetic, magnesium, other. 3. Tension pneumothorax. Cause in pregnancy, following trauma or suicide attempts. 4. Tamponade. Cause in pregnancy, following trauma or suicide attempts. Eclampsia and preeclampsia. Cause in pregnancy includes intracranial hemorrhage. Appendix 3. Physiological and physical changes in pregnancy. Appendix 4 outlines the physiological and physical changes. Should it not be Appendix 3? Sure, no, that's fine. Okay. Appendix 3 outlines the physiological and physical changes in pregnancy and their impact on res resuscitation. These are as follows. Cardiovascular system changes in pregnancy. Plasma volume is increased by up to 50%. Impact on resuscitation. Dilutational anemia reduced oxygen carrying capacity. Heart rate is increased by 15 to 20 beats per minute. Impact on resuscitation, increased cardiopulmonary resuscitation circulation demands. Cardiac output is increased by 40%, significantly reduced by pressure of the gravid uterus on the inferior vena cava. Impact on resuscitation, increased CPR circulation demands. Uterine blood flow is 10% of cardiac output at term. Impact on resuscitation, potential for rapid massive hemorrhage. Systemic vascular resistance is decreased. Impact on resuscitation, sequesters blood 
during CPR. Arterial blood pressure is decreased by 10 to 15 millimeters of mercury. Impact on resuscitation, decreased reserve. Venous return is decreased by pressure of gravid uterus on the inferior vena cava. Impact on resuscitation, increased CPR circulation demands, decreased reserve. Respiratory respiratory system changes in pregnancy. Respiratory rate is increased. Impact on resuscitation, decreased buffering capacity, acidosis more likely. Oxygen consumption is increased by 20%. Impact on resuscitation, hypoxia develops more quickly. Residual capacity is decreased by 25%. Impact on resuscitation, hypoxia develops more quickly when apneic. Arterial PCO2 is decreased. Impact on resuscitation, decreased buffering capacity, acidosis more likely. Laryngeal edema is increased. Impact on resuscitation, decreased buffering capacity, acidosis more likely. Is it worth adding there that intubation is likely to be more difficult? It's just it was it was mentioned earlier as well that so if that's part of the appendix or fine okay I can leave it that's fine other changes in pregnancy gastric motility is decreased impact on resuscitation increased risk of aspiration Lower esophageal sphincter is relaxed. Impact on resuscitation, increased risk of aspiration. Uterus is enlarged. Impact on resuscitation. Diaphragmatic splinting reduces residual capacity and makes ventilation more difficult. Aortocaval compression causes supine hypotension reduces venous return and significantly impairs cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Weight increases, impact on resuscitation, large breasts may interfere with intubation, makes ventilation more difficult. Appendix 4, maternal collapse algorithm. Appendix consists of an algorithm in the form of a flowchart detailing the steps for assessment of maternal collapse and the actions to take for each of these. Please see www.rcog.org.uk forward slash gtg56 for the full flowchart. Appendix 5. Recommended airway equipment. Appendix 5 lists the recommended airway equipment that should be available in a high dependency or critical care area to ensure it is an appropriate place to care for women with maternal collapse. Please see www.rcog.org.uk forward slash gtg56 
for the full algorithm. Appendix 6. Oh, just for just for the appendix five bit, yeah. Okay. Please see www.rcog.org.uk forward slash gtg fifty six for the full list. Appendix six, post collapse management. Appendix six is a flowchart detailing the processes to follow in post-collapse management. Please see www.rcog.org.uk forward slash gtg56 for the full flowchart. References. The full list of references can be accessed via the RCOG website at www.rcog.org.uk rcog.org.uk forward slash gtg56